We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Flo, and this is my impression of a beat poet. Name, name your, name your price, ah. A tool, an idea, an inspiration to do more than just say what you want to pay. Oh, no, but to see the options that could fit your budget. Steve. Steve, enough bongos. Find car insurance that fits your budget at Progressive.com. Makes me want to dance. Steve! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know who you are? Even Steven. Yeah, I'm all. <laughs> I guess. I'm losing is the problem. <laughs> I just don't want yeah. Well, I'm just a little concerned because if you're even Steven, that makes one of me and Michael, Elaine, and the other George. I'm not George, I don't care. <laughs> This is the Roto-Wire Fantasy Soccer Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Laird and Mike Gottlieb. 
Well, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. I am Mike Gottlieb. Along with me, as usual, is Andrew Laird, and we have a very special guest joining us today from Taga. We have John Wallen at Fantasy Gaffer G A F F E R on Twitter. And before we get to our Premier League chat with John, we uh, John, why don't you introduce to us the uh, the new application that you guys have in, uh, for the Women's World Cup, the Women's World Cup Challenge. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andrew, very much for having me. Um, the Women's World Cup is kicking off on June 6th, as pretty much everybody on the planet knows. It's the biggest field that's ever been at a Women's World Cup. 24 teams are going to be competing in the six groups. And the only uh, application that's been made for the Women's World Cup to date is Taga's. Uh, it's called the Women's World Cup Challenge. It's going to have um, live stats streamed for the matches uh, straight from Opta uh, to your mobile. It's going to have a fantasy game component, which has two different segments. The first is the group stage, where you're going to be able to select which nation uh, finishes first, second, or third in each group. And then there's going to be a knockout stage for the 16 teams that progress. And that's going to be more like a traditional March Madness-style bracket. Uh, it's really exciting. We're getting a lot of really good feedback. Uh, we also have featured groups. And so far, uh, we've had a number of past and present women's players sign up to uh, compete. So Monica Gonzalez, who's the former coach of the Mexican uh, women's national team, has uh, agreed to play, and she has a featured group. And Yale Arbach, who's uh, capped by the United States women's national team, she has a group. Uh, guys over at Kick TV and Soccer.com. And so, you know, it's a really good community thing. We're reaching out to everybody. I hope everybody plays. Uh, you can find it on either the Google Play Store, uh, Apple Store. You just search Women's World Cup Challenge, and it's going to be the only thing you find. That sounds absolutely fantastic. I like that it also shows for, let's say, for the people who aren't so well-versed with the uh, women's soccer nat uh, international rankings, right on the group stages there, they also have the current FIFA rank, I believe, as well, or their international yeah. rank, so you actually have, so you can make a more informed decision right off the application. Yeah, that's true, Mike, and actually, um, every single one of those national teams, uh, once you log into the app and you click on them, they, every one of those names expands. And we've written uh, capsules for every one of the teams. We've included uh, three players to watch so that people can get a little bit more familiar with some of the stars and some of the stars in the making. We've also given a prediction on where we think that each of the national teams will finish, both in the group stage and then overall. So even if you, you know, you're just a, a, a soccer player that wants to support the U.S. Women's National Team or Australia, Canada, whoever it may be, um, you know, you can come in, you can, you can read a bit about it, you'll feel like you're making an informed decision, and, uh, you know, you can compete against uh, some people who are actually playing at that level. That sounds absolutely fantastic, and I'm sure if you'll allow us, I'm sure Andrew and I would love to be part of that feature group that you guys have. <laughs> absolutely. All right. And with that, let's get started now with our Fantasy Premier League. Guys, it's almost over. The season's almost over. We're in game week 37, and just for an extra kick in the pants, there's a double game week this week. So we have Arsenal and Sunderland to talk about twice, because uh, they do play twice this week, and we'll get to all, all, all the implications of that later. But let's start with the Saturday morning game, the 7.45 a.m. Eastern time game. Southampton hosting the resurging Aston Villa, and... Andrew, let's actually really introduce you to the podcast this week. Uh, make sure everyone knows you still exist. Okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. Jay Rodriguez has signed a contract extension. What does that mean for Southampton? I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you don't think it means a lot this week. But does that mean? Do you think that means like more players like Nathaniel Klein or Morgan Schneiderlin may re-sign with the club? I don't think so. I, I think the only reason that Rodriguez re-signed is because he wasn't really going to get anything on the open, you know, not that it was a true open market, but 
they weren't going to be able to sell him for nearly as much as they could, um, you know, after a, a season where he was healthy. I mean, he hasn't played this year, recovering from that torn ACL. So, you know, there's a shot that he plays at the end of the year, but that's not going to be enough to, to get any sort of transfer fee up. So it was, you know, it, it was kind of a win-win on both sides. You know, they at least get to lock him up for a little bit. He gets a little more security in case the, you know, he doesn't get back to where he was. But I think the other guys that you mentioned, Klein and, and Schneiderlin, are gone. I, don't, I think they've kind of outgrown Southampton, um, mostly just because of the clubs that are, are looking at them. I think you can, I think Victor Wanyama is another one that's been kind of thrown around um, that could prob- probably leave. But after that, it's going to be interesting to see what they do next year with Rodriguez if they play him up front with Graziano Pele or, you know, they try to start one of them. They, they basically only used Pele as kind of a lone striker this year. Sadio Mane, you know, got forward enough, but he wasn't really a striker like, like Pele was. So I, I don't think Rodriguez's contract kind of have, has any effect on anyone else. Cool. And now uh, moving into the more fantasy aspects of this matchup, I do want to talk about Tom Cleverly, who's been – especially of late, he's been really a sign of the resurgence. You know, his relevance in fantasy Premier League, although limited, has definitely taken an uptick recently. And let me throw this over to John here. Is he essential for uh, for Aston Villa, not only to stay up this year, but for any kind of success going forward? You know, I, I don't think he is. The reality is it's three goals in three games. You know, two of those obviously helped clinch one goal victories, and that's six points in the bag, you know, for Tim Sherwood and Villa. But really, a lot of that is down to the shots on target that he's had. And Cleverly is not one that's known for getting, you know, the ball on the frame very often. He has five shots on target in these last three games, but he's taken only 23 total shots in 29 games for Aston Villa. Nine of those have been on target. Again, five of those nine were in these last three games, and he scored on three of them. He's not going to keep scoring on 60% of his shots on target. You know, so even if Tom Cleverly were to double his shots on target, which would be a remarkable feat for somebody who plays as deep as he does and whose game is predicated on making interceptions and physical challenges, the reality is what's, what's he going to do next season at Villa? A five-goal season would be a pretty good benchmark for him. Yeah, I do think you know, he's 25 years old. Obviously, there was a world of potential for him when he was at United. This feels like the right time for him to move to Villa on a permanent. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, this team is going to be much more dependent on being able to retain uh, Christian Benteke. Uh, it's going to be much more dependent on being able to uh, fill in with, uh, you know, solid defenders and realistically uh, ask less of Cleverly going forward and more of him in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, uh, with the, let me just, let me toss this question to Andrew. First of all, I'm assuming you're of the opinion, considering that you own one of his jerseys, that Benteke is not going to be on Villa for much longer. Uh, I'd like to think that he sticks around, um, partially because of the clubs that he might end up in. But uh, there, you know, Sherwood has said that it's going to take a massive fee to get get him, and we are we kind of already knew that, but he deserves it, and so I wouldn't be surprised if there were a number of clubs that that came calling it's just a matter of whether Aston Villa realizes that you know at some point you're not going to get much more for him so they're going to have to sell but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he stuck around so f- for this week I'll, I'll, I'll Andrew I'll let you answer first and then toss it over to John would you rather have Tom Cleverly this weekend or Fabian Delph I've I've kind of been on Delph for a few weeks actually just I think you know just the way that he plays he plays much more forward than Cleverly I think we kind of saw this uh, a few weeks ago with Cleverly's old team, 
um, when Michael Carrick was had, I think he had two goals in two games or something like that. And he was never really going to become this, you know, great goal scorer. And I don't see it coming from cleverly either. That's not, you know, his goals have been very big, but that's not the role they need him to play to be a, a legitimate, well, I, I guess I'll just call him a legitimate mid-table team. Yeah, I completely agree with the assessment on Delph. You know, the stats that we track over at Taga include uh, a lot of attacking stats, so shots on target, chances created, successful crosses, and, and successful take-ons. And Delph is clearly superior to Tom Cleverly in all of those. And most of those statistics portend success in every format. So whether you're looking at an inexpensive midfield option in the official game uh, or in one of the other salary cap games, or you're looking at, uh, you know, a, a valuable bench, uh, excuse me, a valuable second or third rotation midfielder in a draft league. You know, Delph, Delph's been amazing. He's created a chance, at least one chance, in 10 consecutive matches that he's played. Wow. And in that time frame, he actually created a total of uh, 18 chances. And I'm going to go ahead and take a wild guess. I'm going to back it up in one second, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that that's more chances than Tom Cleverly's created all <laughs> season long. Uh, I mean, he's Cleverly just isn't an offensive force. He's not, and this is, the stats are one thing, and I know some people, probably not people that listen to this show, but some people poo-poo the numbers uh, and, you know, prefer to rely on an eye test. Yeah, in that same period, Cleverly's been okay. He's created seven chances. Uh, excuse me, eight chances to uh, Delph's 16 in that time period. Um, so roughly, you know, one chance for every two that Delph's creating. And that directly correlates um, to assists. It directly correlates to the amount of time that he's spending in the attacking half and his own opportunities on goal. Uh, I am I, actually of the opinion that Fabian Delph is a much better option. So I, you're going to hear no arguments from me, but I don't want to make this an Aston Villa podcast. Let's go to Southampton side. What has happened to all of their formerly fantasy darlings? You know, is there anything that they can do, or not anything they can do? I mean, what do you have to see to even trust them for game week thirty-eight? Because as of right now, I don't trust a single one of their options to to the point where in real life they even changed goalies last week. So, John, what do you think of all of the Southampton options, both this weekend and next? <laughs> uh, again, in, in traditional fantasy, you know, I'm I'm all out. There's nothing that's happening uh, at St. Mary's that inspires any kind of faith. If you're playing in a deeper format where, you know, you're getting points for other statistics like chances created or on the defensive end, tackles won or clearances, things like that. Um, you know, Nathaniel Klein and Ryan Bertrand are both still incredibly valuable options. Those guys are going to end up finishing the season in the top five at, uh, in Taga for defensive players. Uh, it's going to be a shame if Klein leaves because his fantasy potential next year uh, is it's nearly unrivaled. He's been a phenomenal asset. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to give up on them in deeper, uh, in deeper formats, but in the official league, I'm out on everybody. And Andrew, what about you? The problem is, is that the only guy I think you can rely on to even be in the, in the lineup is Graziano Pele because we've seen Mane move in and out. Elia, I feel like we haven't heard of it from in months. Tadic is hurt. Uh, Ward Prowse, you know, just can't seem to, to get any sort of consistent playing time. Uh, Schneiderlin is already out. You know, Wanyama is not much of an offensive player. But yeah, it's like you go to Bertrand and Klein, who, um, like John said, in the leagues that give you, you know, points beyond just clean sheets, they're they're superstars, basically. I mean, they're. I don't think anybody really expected them to be quite this good. Certainly Bertrand. Um, yeah. I think there was, a, you know, a thought that he would be good, but you kind of look at him now and say, why, why wouldn't Chelsea have just kept him? But, if you're looking at the 
from the clean sheet side, they finished the season at Man City, and, and there are not many worse places to finish a season um, from you know the basic Premier League or ESPN scoring, where you're essentially getting points for goals and clean sheets, or goals, assists, and clean sheets. So yeah, it's uh, unless you really like Graziano Pelli in this matchup, I, I think you're you have every reason to stay away. Yeah, Ryan Bertrand, by the way, who has a Champions League medal, yep. a winner's medal, uh, but yeah, he fun option, but I I can't trust them either. But uh, I'm gonna say a sentence, and I can't believe that I'm saying it. I am not gonna be able to take my eyes off of Sunderland at home against Leicester on Saturday <laughs> at ten in the morning. Um, I, I, it's it's a really interesting matchup because both teams really need the points. And when both teams really need the points, they tend to each come away with one. Now, Andrew, you have noted that Sunderland have four more draws than anyone else in the Premier League, which supports my recent point that I just made. Only seven teams have fewer losses. But only Burnley have fewer wins. Can you? In, what does that mean in terms? If you want to relate it to fantasy, down, uh, you know, like a, a secondary point, go ahead. What does that mean about Sunderland as a team? They don't. They don't want to win. They don't play to win. I think the the problem is not that they're you know one of these teams that like they're not playing to lose, but they don't necessarily need to win. It's almost like they went into the season and they said, "All right, we have to get to thirty eight points, and if we get to thirty eight, we're going to stay up." And here they are at 36 with two weeks left. So they got literally just need one point in each of their last two, and they've successfully stayed up. But it's the weird thing is, is that they're not some great defensive club that's just grinding scoreless draws out either. I mean, they're, they're scoring a decent amount of goals for, for them, but they give up so many that um, I, I don't necessarily think this one's going to be as low scoring. Like, I think Leicester takes this one easily just because Sunderland can't stop anybody, whether they're home or away. And the way that Leicester are playing, I think they could pretty much beat anybody but Chelsea. Yeah, actually, Andrew, just to jump in on that, Sunderland are um, 20 goals in the red in the 20 (laughs) matches that they have not drawn. So of the 20 matches they haven't drawn, they're 7-13, and and they're conceding on average a goal more a game. (laughs) Put that in perspective, QPR has not drawn 30 games. They've won or lost 30 games. Obviously, their record is worse than Sunderland's, but they're only negative 28 in those 30 games. So in games where you have three points on the line, Sunderland is the worst club in the Premier League. Yep. They're just not... I, I don't want to say this because it might come off as a compliment, but they play to the level of their opponent. <laughs> Literally the exact level. What, like if, they, if, they, if their opponent is going to score two goals, they're going to score two goals. They're never going to go above them, and they're never going to play below them, or they rarely play below them. Now, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I think that's just how the season's played out. Now, with that in mind, even with the double game week for Sunderland, would you take Jermaine Defoe or Jamie Vardy? I'll start with you, John. <laughs> I in, in a straight salary cap league, I'm taking Jermaine Defoe. I mean, you, you pick a guy based on his minutes, and certainly he has the ability – uh, to score against you know either Leicester or Arsenal. Arsenal much less likely. David Espina has only allowed nine goals since he became the starter, you know, for the Gunners. But um, I mean that Leicester team is going to win against Sunderland uh, six to three, uh, seven to four. I mean I don't know what the score is going to be. It's certainly not going to be one nothing Leicester. So you know I think you can roll the dice on Defoe and uh, you know feel comfortable doing that. Um, since Leicester only has that one opportunity against Sunderland. You know, if it's a if it's a two goal game for Leonardo Uloa, then Vardy's out in the cold, and you know you've wasted your slot. 
And Andrew, what about you? I've never been much of a Jermaine Defoe fan, but I have to agree that, you know, the he is he could be the the most likely goal scorer of of that first game anyway. And you know, just uh, just what John said, you get a, you, like last week we saw two from Mares and it's like where did that come from? So <laughs> I think um you know, Leicester are just getting into this kind of problem that we've seen with a few different teams. It, in fact, happened with Southampton earlier this season where uh, the goals kind of are coming, but we're not quite sure where they're going to come from. And, you know, that's really tough to rely on for fantasy purposes. So you might as well take the guy who has an opportunity to, t- to play 180 minutes versus just 90. Yep. And do you think Patrick Van Onholt is a good defensive option, Andrew, for his double game week? Yeah, I noticed... Uh, John, you weren't privy to this, but I have our, our weekly rankings, and Mike decided Patrick Van Anhalt was the third best defender this week. And I like it. I like that it. was that was my response actually. Um, so no, I, I don't think they no, I don't I don't think they perform that well against Leicester in term defensively. I don't think he's setting up any goals for Sunderland, and I certainly don't think that they're as good defensively as Swansea that they'll shut out Arsenal. So. I disagree. So, John, let me state my case to you because you obviously are much smarter than Andrew here. <laughs> we, so my rationale is, especially with this season, it is extraordinarily difficult to predict clean sheets anywhere for any team. So, And because defenders are so dependent on clean sheets for points, why not take a guy that has double the opportunity, double the minutes, and is also not terrible going forward? He, I mean, he does get forward. But, you know, two crap games versus one crap game is still – it's a greater than sign. It may be. Um, Van Anhalt also shown a little bit of propensity to take a card. Um, he's been cautioned four times this season. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, that Arsenal match is going to be a fairly hotly contested affair, I think. Arsenal's still looking to lock up a second or third place in the Premier League to ensure that they don't have to go through qualifying this summer. Um, and ultimately, I don't know how good, uh, how good a risk is he to get four points, uh, five points, uh, if he doesn't keep, you know, if he doesn't keep a single clean sheet, it's what 50, 50, it's a coin flip that he even earned you four points in those two matches. Uh, obviously I do think he's the better boomer bus play. Like you're a hundred points behind with two weeks to play in a mini league. Yeah. Roll the dice with him. You know, if you're looking to take a long shot in one of the daily fantasy sports sites, whichever one it may be. And there are plenty of them. Yeah, he's he's a great option. Um, but I'm I'm not I'm not risking a lead on him, um, and I'm certainly not willing to take him over somebody where I think a, a clean sheet's possible. And I'm going to leave you guys with with a stat that's interesting, or maybe I'll just pose it as a, as a trivia question. But which goalkeeper in the Premier League this season, as, to your point, Mike, which goalkeeper in this season has recorded the most clean sheets in fantasy? Is it, it Pantelamon? It is it's Liverpool Simone Mignolet uh, with 14. And he was replaced by Brad Jones at one point this year. So, I mean, the reality is I 100% agree with your premise, but clean sheets are at a premium anyway. It's not so much that there have been, uh, you know, there's this like surfeit of clean sheets and we're just not guessing right. There aren't that many clean sheets. Um, and ultimately, I'm not willing to invest in a guy unless I, I feel like there's a little bit better odds. All right. Well, you're both crazy, and I'm definitely right. But <laughs> well, we'll move but, on. Oh, before sorry, you move on, I'm sorry. the The reason why I thought it was a little crazy is that you ranked him 
so, so the justification is he has two clean sheet opportunities. But you ranked him ahead of every Arsenal defender who also has two clean sheet opportunities. Now, I only ranked one Arsenal defender, and that's Koscielny, right. and he has no offensive ability. Right. So that was my, that's my shading. I think it was just one rank or two, something like that, right? It was, I think, yep. I think Three Koscielny was four. four, yeah. So it was just a matter of, I think, Koscielny, ha- Koscielny does not have the opportunity to go forward. Even when he does on set pieces, he's not a guarantee to be the target. So it's not like he's John Terry up there. Mm-hmm. But that, that's my rationale there. I understand that one is a little less, a little even more unorthodox, excuse me, than just putting Van Aanholt third. But whatever. It's okay. He's a former Chelsea guy. I must be biased. <laughs> now, uh, Burnley are at home against Stoke this week, and who cares? Uh, but Burnley, definitely relegated. Danny Ings is going somewhere, uh, probably Liverpool. But is, is, is Stoke being one point away from a guaranteed top 10 finish really enough to get them motivated to go to the northern part of England and play Burnley? Uh, and uh, Andrew, I'll start with you. I can't imagine. I, I think if they never played this match and just left it at 0-0, I don't think anybody would even notice. Yeah, this is, this is the sound of a tree falling in the woods and no one being there to hear it. <laughs> but, I, I feel like we say that, and this, is, this one will be 5-4. Yeah, John, do you see any kind of fantasy <laughs> relevance here? Except for, I mean, the only one I can think of is Mama Juve. Yeah, well, which is not a not a terrible option. Certainly, I think that when I end up doing um, the ranks this week on Taga, that Diop's gonna be um, 10, 11, somewhere in there for me. Um, and again, we count you know things that aren't goals, but you have to think that he's as good a as good a bet as anybody to score. I mean, the reality is Burnley are playing with pride, you know, and Stoke needs one point for a guaranteed top ten finish. They might not get that one point. They have a, a very prideful Burnley, and then they have Liverpool and Steven Gerrard's last match. And, I mean, it's a, it's a decent chance to still go out and, and get shut out. And, again, I mean, who cares at the end of the day? Um, Stoke may. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's about a million three, a million four pounds per plate. So they finish 10th instead of 11th or, you know, 10th instead of 12th. You know, that's a couple million pounds. But, you know, at the end of the day, for fantasy, it has basically no impact. I just want to hear the Burnley fans chant Ginger Mourinho one last time. Are we going to skip over Charlie Adam like that he hasn't done anything? <sighs> Go ahead. Give me your Charlie Adam piece. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't really have a piece, mostly because I still don't believe like what I've witnessed. I kind of thought we were just seeing a Tom Cleverly, that it would be two games and that was it. And he went on that, and he was a four-game run, and then he finally came back to earth. And I was like, okay, and then he scored again. So, I mean, they're... He rest- scored again on a scramble. You know, it was just a, the ball is bouncing around all over the place, and then he happened to poke it in. So it's not like he, you know, it wasn't like... It, it was, I, I would equate it more to the lob against Chelsea than I would, like, a free kick that he's taken. Oh, so how dare you disparage the lob against Chelsea? That was <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, that was audacious. That would be the way that I would, that would, that would, be the way I would describe it. But, hey, it went in. You know, you can't complain with the result. That's certainly true. Uh, except I believe they lost the game. Well, yeah, than that. Um, John, you didn't sound so enthusiastic about Danny Ings joining Liverpool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And I think it's no secret to anybody that follows me on Twitter that I'm a Liverpool supporter. And I have been since the days of the Spice Boys and white suits. So, you know, I, I've, I've seen a lot of different iterations of this team. And the Brendan Rodgers iteration doesn't have a place for the Danny Ings that's playing right now at Burnley. I mean, the funny thing that happened today, I was, I was getting ready for this podcast and I was just, you know, 
looking up a couple random players uh, that I thought might come up on, you know, on who scored. And under Danny Ings, you know, there's that section that lists your strengths and your weaknesses. And under Danny Ings' strength, it says, quote, player has no significant strengths, <laughs> end quote. So I'm not really, I, I don't understand the fascination with it in terms of him being a productive fantasy option or really being a productive Premier League player in that club. You know, he's completed 71.4% of his passes this season. He has 1.6 successful dribbles, which is good, but he's been dispossessed 2.2 times per game. And those 2.2 times per game, they don't include the two and a half bad touches per game that he has. Now, he scored 10 goals. He has four assists. And ultimately, you know, however this weird free transfer, but Liverpool have to pay the compensation works out. You know, he's going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of 50% of the 7.7 million pounds that they spent on Iago Aspas. So it's low risk. But a guy that can only complete 71.4% of his passes and a guy who gives up possession, you know, three, four times a game is not a Brendan Rodgers forward. Um, it, you know, he's simply not. And so I'm actually... I'll be upset if he goes to Liverpool uh, because I think that if he goes to, uh, you know, a down the middle straight line club, he could still be very fantasy relevant. But if he's, if he's sitting on the bench at Anfield, I mean, he's Ricky Lambert 2.0. I was going to say, he'd be a perfect compliment to Mario Balotelli on the bench there. <laughs> but uh, let, let, let's go, let's move on though to uh, Tottenham who are at home against Hull City. Hull City who are now in the drop zone. John, both, uh, Andrew and I thought they were going to win the title earlier this season. <laughs> uh, we were all in on Hull and all their fantasy options, at the, even as early as the beginning of the season for me, because I loved almost every midfielder that they had, including Tom Ince, because he's amazing. But Tottenham, they can't keep anybody out, as evident last week against Stoke. Uh, do Hull have a chance to get points here, John? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love Hull. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be very sad if at the end of the day, and this is no disrespect to the, you know, the amazing fans that they have at Newcastle, but that club's done nothing to warrant staying up. And if Newcastle ends up staying up on goal difference or by one point and Hall ends up going down, it's going to be a bad day for the Premier League. Um, you know, earlier today, I was talking to a colleague over at Taga about Tottenham, actually. He pointed out like a raft of stats, and I'm going to rattle them off to kind of bullet point style because they are damning when you really look at the way that, uh, Pochettino's team has played this season. So, first of all, Spurs have already conceded 53 goals, which is more than Sunderland, who've conceded 50, more than Hall, who have conceded 49, and the same number that Burnley have conceded. And that's come because they've allowed 169 shots on target, and they've only registered 166. They rank 19th for opposition conversion rates. So, realistically, wow. either Hugo Lewis is amazing, or they're getting phenomenally lucky. Um, they have 12 losses. That's just one less than Sunderland's 13. And at the end of the day, I mean, you guys can look at the table the same way anybody else can and see that they're plus two in goal differential. Plus two in goal differential means that they are incredibly lucky to be five games to the good right now. I mean, this is a team that should be 500, maybe a game under 500. And if they don't make some significant changes to the tactics that they're employing and maybe to the personnel that they're using to, to communicate those tactics effectively on the field, this team's going to be in real trouble next season. That is possibly the best information anyone has ever given on this podcast ever. I couldn't couldn't agree more. <laughs> so thank you for that, and I'm sure, especially Andrew, appreciates it as uh, as the Arsenal fan that he is. But we'll focus here a little bit on Tottenham just for a second. Is Harry Kane on vacation? I think he's just tired. I mean, it's it's by far the most amount of 
that he's played. I mean, he's obviously only 21, so it's not like he's had 10 years in the Premier League. But, you know, it's entirely possible that he just he's hit some wall. You know, we kind of talk about it with younger players or rookies, at least, you know, you hit the rookie wall. And while he's not really a rookie, um, you know, it's just a lot of playing time that he's had this year. And it's been a tremendous season. But, you know, it's not surprising that he's that he's slowing down right now. He's still taking a lot of shots, although he's not really getting into the you know, the positions that he was earlier in the year. And I still don't think he's, the ball has touched his left foot this entire season. So that might be something to do with it. I think teams are learning to push him that way. Andrew, he's, he's slight. I mean, everybody talks about his height and how good he is in the air and the number of goals he scored with his head. But the reality is he weighs under 150 pounds. That's a great point. I don't know how you're supposed to, at 21 years of age, in your first season where you've recorded more than 300 minutes of Premier League action, be expected to do better than score 20 goals in 28 games on 100 shots. I mean, the fact that we're sitting here splitting hairs over Harry Kane shows exactly how phenomenal this breakthrough campaign has been for him. And ultimately, I mean, this needs to be a summer where he doesn't play U21s, where he doesn't get called up to the national team, where he sits at home and does some weight training and eats some food and, like, puts on that weight. You know, we see it in, in American sports all the time with baseball players. Young guys come up, they're used to playing 75 games, they have to play 162 games. September, their batting averages drop, you know, they're making bad mental mistakes. And they spend that next summer conditioning, getting their weight up so they can afford to lose 15 or 20 pounds over the course of a season. And I think Harry Kane's going to need to do something similar. I'll say that the age 21 year is perfect for putting on weight. Just so you know, spoiler alert, 21 is not the drinking age in England. No, good point. Good point. <laughs> Forgot. For, for me, it was age 37. I put on <laughs> like 20 pounds this year. So, <laughs> brutal. Uh, all right. Uh, on the Hall side, if they're going to score, and the numbers say that they are, who's going to do it, Andrew? We like to constantly say Dame and Joy, but I don't think he has a road goal this year. So, they're playing at White Hart Lane which then means he's not allowed to score. Jelovic, you know, is probably the, the other option. Last weekend, um, everybody was making a huge deal about Robbie Brady because, at least on DraftKings, he started crossing the ball a lot, so you're getting points for that. But it, it was just, I almost like couldn't believe what I was reading on Twitter, how many people were like, wow, Robbie Brady's a steal, Robbie Brady's a steal. And it's like, we're talking about Robbie Brady? Like, th- this isn't, uh, you know, Sergio Aguero here, so. I tipped him at the beginning of the season. Well, you tipped this whole team at the beginning of the season, and here we are. It's uh, eight, you know, in rele- in the relegation zone. At, yeah, after yeah. 36, and, but. Uh, it never got trending, but the got curse was very, very real this year. Yeah, <laughs> very, very real. It started, and John, I said it before. I'll just I'll introduce the premise. Um, it started when I said before the World Cup that Christian Benteke had the most money to make before the World Cup started, and that's when he <laughs> tore his Achilles. And then it's just it, pretty much everybody I mentioned after that. Went you like down. Andy Carroll way too much, and we just I knew that Andy was going to happen. Carroll, he went down. But to my credit, Andy Carroll, when he played, was amazing. Yeah. Now, we'll move uh, You know what? Perfect segue. Andy Carroll's West Ham are at home against Everton. Another game of, you know, both teams probably don't want to be there. But Romelu Lukaku, he's only had one goal in his last five. West Ham... I think as a team only have one goal in their last five, but it, it, it's probably better than that. But in this game, do you trust any option? Actually, I just want to throw one name out there. If Leighton Baines doesn't play, I really do like Luke Garbett. I think he 
Uh, we've mentioned this earlier in the season. Everton waited too long to sell Leighton Baines because Luke Garbett looks ready, especially with that left foot of his. And now Baines will get them pretty much no money on the open market. Now, uh, John, first, first start with that. Do you like Luke Garbett if he does play? I do like Luke Garbett if, if he doesn't, uh, if Baines doesn't play. And I actually agree with you that Everton missed the boat on selling Leighton Baines at a premium. Uh, and the thing that I'm going to like about Garbett is not only that he's played, I mean, very, very few minutes, and I don't have the number in front of me, but I mean, not very many minutes. And he's created four chances. He's made four interceptions. He's won four tackles. He even has a shot on target. I mean, he takes free kicks. Yeah. I was gonna say and the lad is willing to get stuck in, you know, on both ends of the pitch. So realistically, if you can go out and get him as your least expensive third defender and throw out a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3 formation in fantasy, yeah, I mean, you'd be foolish not to, and he's going to be the difference between finishing in the money and finishing outside. I like where your head's at. Andrew, where, uh, what, do you, what do you think, not only about Luke Garbett, but um, the rest of the Everton-West Ham matchup from a fantasy perspective? Well, these are two teams we thought were going to be so much better than they turned out to be. Yeah, and uh, West Ham, I, I think, was, was significantly injury-related. I mean, obviously, they were relying a lot on Andy Carroll and Diafra Sacco, and those were pretty big absences. And they had some injuries in the back. Also, uh, Tompkins out for the year. Uh, Winston Reed's been dealing with injuries pretty much all season. been out for a game or game, game um, here and there. Yeah, and Downey hasn't been nearly what he was at the beginning of the season, maybe maybe because of you know Carroll and, and Sacco. So... What's weird, so I, I almost want to give them a little bit of a pass for falling as far as they did because they clearly had a recipe. They're just dependent on guys who who got hurt. Everton, I don't know what's going on. You know, they clearly have players that need to play a certain system, and um, Roberto Martinez doesn't want to play that system. So, you know, the, uh, Romelu Lukaku gets relatively poor service in the box where he usually, you know, needs it. He's a big body that can, you know, score like that, but... Um, you know, we've talked about this before. They they don't play particularly wide, and they've got you know Ross Barkley who can do some pretty impressive things, but doesn't really love to pass. And Morales seems to be in and out of the doghouse. I have Morales in our in the Taga, I believe. What is it called? The Premier Division. That's and he's one. by far the most frustrating fantasy player I've ever owned. And most people basically just laughed at me when I asked if they were interested in him, which is exactly <laughs> my, what my response would have been if I didn't have him already. So um, it's, I feel like, you know, we do kind of expected lineups each week and I have a very clear idea of how they should play. And it's, it's different every week. And I, I'm not sure why they don't play Barkley and Morales for 90 minutes, you know, as long as they can. And, but so I, I feel like this has, you know, earlier this season, we would be very high on this match and we you know, neither club was great defensively. So we'd be like, oh, this is a great, you know, 3-2. And now I'm not sure either side scores. I'm going to make two points here before I move on. Number one, the correlation between Morales and Barkley not playing is because they steal penalties from Leighton Baines and miss. <laughs> Second, I tipped West Ham to finish higher than uh, Southampton and made an on-air wager with you, which I'm officially lost now yep. and at that moment they were only what eight points behind i'm not even sure it was that many yeah it was it was a very small number and then andy carroll got hurt they were and also diafrasaco got yeah, hurt they were also i think third and fifth in the table at the time yeah it was 
another version of the got curse. It was just went all over West Ham injury wise at that moment. So very real, very real. Mike, I'm a little concerned for you. You've now you've now referred to Andy Carroll uh, Tottenham as being quote Andy Carroll's team. You said that you made a wager in which you uh, factored heavily on Andy Carroll's <laughs> health. I mean, this is the player who has played 14 times for West Ham this season for a grand total of 1,024 minutes. You you know sometimes you have to go on faith. You have to believe. And also, it was more. It was also because they had three forwards that were legitimate uh, at the time: Enter Valencia, Diaprasaco, and Andy Carroll. No matter which combination of the two of them played, they played well together. And you had Stuart Downing and Aaron Cresswell crossing in balls, where and they're very good at it. Uh, and it, it it seemed like a team that knew what it was supposed to do to win. It's honestly what Everton should have been doing to win at the beginning of the season and didn't. And West Ham have gotten away from that because they simply just don't have the forwards anymore. They've been, they have to start Carlton Cole. That's how bad it got. And it's just it, injuries have played a large part. And yes, it's because I decided that they were going to be my team to support outside of Chelsea. It was going to be West Ham and Hull. And that just wound up to be a terrible idea for all West Ham fans and all Hull City fans. So just, just terrible, terrible all around. But yes, I understand to not put faith in Andy Carroll. I promise I won't make the same mistake three times. <laughs> I promise. All right, and uh, we'll go on here to the last game of the 10 o'clock slate, which is QPR also relegated against Newcastle. Maybe relegated. Uh, Newcastle desperately needs to get points because, you know, you have a feeling that Sunderland or Hull are going to pick up at least a point or two. And if, if Newcastle gets zero points, first of all, I'll start this with Andrew. If Newcastle gets zero points going forward from this point of the season, are they going down? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think Hull can get the two points. And as of right now, Hull have an eight-goal differential lead on Newcastle, which is kind of incredible in itself. But um, John kind of intimated earlier that Newcastle have done nothing to deserve staying up. And I've kind of I've been fully on that for a few weeks now, um, just that from an entertainment standpoint, I have no interest in watching this team play. And I think Hull offer a lot more uh, in terms of, you know, watchability. And, you know, that's, that's why we watch the Premier League, because it's fun to, to watch and follow. And there's nothing fun about Newcastle at all. <laughs> just nothing. And so um, I would be perfectly content with a Charlie Austin hat trick that just does them away this weekend. Yeah, and John, uh, what, what, what do you think about Newcastle's uh, – If are there any options that you can even think of, you know, besides for Daryl Yon, uh, Yamat returning from suspension? It's got to be at least a little interesting, right? Honestly, I don't think so. I think this team completely packed it in. Um, I think that the, the two red cards that they saw uh, against Leicester were, you know, were an indication of what we're going to get out of them for the next two weeks. Uh, I tweeted at one point um, during their 1-1 draw – uh, that they weren't going to get the point, <laughs> you know, in, in this weekend's match. And I will be honest, I was thoroughly surprised that they did. Um, I don't see any, I don't, honestly don't believe that they're going to be able to beat Queens Park Rangers. And I think that leaves them needing a point against West Ham. And ultimately the fact that West Ham can't score a goal right now and a nil nil draw at home on Tyneside might be how Newcastle end up keeping their premier league status so, and I, this it's just it's horrid for i mean anybody that wants to watch a neutral match and i mean i watch nine neutral matches a week i want to see good matches you know and so i mean ultimately 
I guess the only thing I'm rooting for in, in this whole mess is Jonas Gutierrez. I mean, he's gotten 90 minutes now and three on the spin. And, you know, he's obviously come back. He's cancer-free. If he scores a winning goal in the next two weeks, I'll be okay with it. I'll be happy Newcastle stayed up because that narrative and, and that, that, you know, sort of relief that will be palpable both, you know, on Tyneside and, you know, for everybody that's been supporting Gutierrez through this entire endeavor, yeah, for that I'll get on board. But for anything short of that, I, I just think they need to get dropped down. I think this club needs a cleansing. I think they'll be better for it. I think they'll do a one-year bounce. They'll come up with different players, maybe a different owner, certainly new management. And, you know, they'll have a chance at being a, you know, a Europa League side going forward. I do like hearing the fat bastard chants all throughout the games <laughs> at Newcastle. Those are always fun. Now, I mean, with, on the QPR side, you know, Charlie Austin's likely gone at the end of the season. Is he someone you look at as a fantasy option, like as a budget striker, uh, Andrew? Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's not even really a, a budget. He's not even going to be a budget anymore. But Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, only uh, QPR have allowed more goals this year than Newcastle. And so I think it's entirely possible that, well, I'm not really sure where the goal comes from from Newcastle. It might come from QPR. But, yeah, I think I, I've been a big fan of Charlie Austin, and I kind of tweeted this out. I think John actually replied to me about it, of, of why anybody would would buy Danny Ings over Charlie Austin. And I still don't, I understand the fact that it would be a, a cheaper and that Ings is younger, but for the next 10 years, I, I'd be hard pressed to be convinced that Danny Ings is going to be a better Premier League player than Charlie Austin. Charlie Austin just needs to figure out what the offsides rule is, and then he'll be much better. <laughs> He's already very good though. I mean, but, you can't score 17 goals and, and by accident. I think him and Romelu Lukaku could could easily be 20, 25 goal scorers if they understood what the offside rule was. <laughs> yeah, and, in Lukaku's case, I mean, maybe just every once in a while getting some shots on target. That would help. <laughs> that would help. But, uh, yeah. Well, well, let's move on to John's beloved Liverpool. Stevie G's last game at home. They're playing against Crystal Palace, who were soaring high recently under, uh, uh, under new manager Sack Pardew, Alan Pardew. Now, with Crystal Palace, their midfielders, some of now you've seen Belasi play up front alone occasionally. Do you feel that this is the perfect side to ruin Gerrard's last home game because they can move the ball so quickly through the midfield? Oh, unquestionably. I mean, a, a year later, they're still ruining my last year. It's just been <laughs> unbelievable. Um, I... I, I'm in awe of what they've been able to pull off. Um, I love them for fantasy. I especially love them in the Taga format and in our in our weekly game, the Perfect Eleven app. Um, you know where you're intentionally trying to pick players on a week to week basis, and and frequently in order to win that, you have to pick a couple of players up against, you know, theoretically superior opposition or maybe a long shot player. And uh, for a couple of weeks now, uh, Yannick Bolasie has been the player that the person that's won Perfect 11 has, has relied on. You know, he's, he's a phenomenal talent. Um, and also playing him up front gives you the opportunity to get Jednak, get Punchyung, get Zaha, you know, get MacArthur in the lineup, in behind him. And realistically, what Alan Pardew's done is he's found a way to successfully start his five best players. If every manager was finding a way to start their five best players, yeah, we might see very, very few clean sheets, but we would see a lot of really entertaining football. So, Andrew, on the Liverpool side, 
uh, I mean, who would you start from a Liverpool side? Uh, I mean, coming from the neutral perspective here, Stevie G. Are you kidding? <laughs> I am partially kidding. I, I think we, we know he's going to start. There's no way he comes off the bench. Uh, we have kind of gone back and forth about um, Coutinho's value this season because it it sways so much from the format that you play. Um, looking at our weekly rankings, Mike, you you have not been the, the biggest Coutinho supporter of the season, but you have him ranked the highest this week by far. Uh, you have him at fifth, and uh, I have him 12th, and Chris has him at 14, so we're obviously not uh, as big into him. But I I struggle to, to jump in on Coutinho, given a few of the other midfield options. Jordan Henderson, I think, may take a little bit of a backseat in this one, just knowing that that this is Gerard's last game. I mean, they don't really have a ton to play for. It's not, you know, they. I think they've essentially wrapped up a Europa spot. I don't think they've actually technically done it. I think they need one more point to do it. But um, I, I don't know what to what to feel about this game. I know that I'm staying away from any of the strikers, whether it's Balotelli or Lambert. I doubt Barini gets the start. But I think the guy I'm ultimately the most comfortable with is Gerard. For me, and the, John, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Even though I've not been his biggest supporter this season, I think of all the players on Liverpool, he's the most likely to be involved in a goal, whether he's making the killer pass or if he's you know, crushing a ball from 30 yards away into the top corner. It's likely going to be Felipe Coutinho who's going to be on the end of something involving a Liverpool goal if there is going to be one. He made a pass this year? Sorry. Well, he's missed some shots, and they've been found by other players on his team. So I, mean, <laughs> I think those get scored as passes. Um, reality is, look, I, you're going to be hard pressed to get me to say a bad word about Coutinho. And you know, he was making heart swoon uh, earlier, apparently on Twitter this week, because my feed blew up with a bunch of people who don't normally follow Liverpool talking about how Coutinho was too shy to ask his girlfriend out, so she had to ask him out. So I mean, he seems like the perfect gentleman. Clearly a scholar. Lovely head of hair. And, you know, next season he's going to be the guy that we have to rely on to make sure that we can secure fifth again. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to go against you here and say that I agree with Andrew. I would start Steven Gerrard. In the official league, he's eight and a half million. It's a little pricey. He's only owned in 3.2% of sides. And he's scored in back-to-back games. In those back-to-back games, he's created seven chances. That run of seven chances in three matches is the most he's created in any three consecutive matches in this calendar year. He's also taken five shots on target. He's been dispossessed only twice. So for everybody that's holding up a Gerard slip sign at Stamford Bridge, doesn't look like that's how this season's going to end. He's clearly feeling it. He clearly understands. I mean, he was angry to be taken off. For especially for Lucas in, in the last match. When they needed a goal. Right. You know, against Chelsea, against arguably the team that he is, I mean, realistically, but for AC Milan, the team that I most link Gerard with are his performances against Chelsea. And, you know, that was like the, the storybook moment was him to score two goals, you know, a 90th minute goal, keep Liverpool in it, and, and it didn't come to pass. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm counting on him to take out a little bit of that frustration with how Rodgers has managed his last five months. And, you know, really, uh, really put the team on his shoulders. I think you guys are chasing narrative, but, you know, to each their own. We're chasing narrative in the Premier League. (laughs) This is a a league built on narrative. 
Yep. Stevie and G just, is going to be my first pick in the Taga Best 11 this week. First one. Good luck with that. We'll move <laughs> on to Swansea at home against Manchester City. Um, I mean, Swansea, they just don't know when to quit, apparently. They just keep on keeping on. And there are now only one point behind Southampton for a Europa spot. And I think both teams don't want it. But this is a larger question. I'll start, I'll start with John because he, you know, Liverpool, of course, are going to be in Europa again. Do you like being in the Europa League? Do you think it's a positive for a Premier League team to be in Europa? I think if it's handled right, it certainly is. And for a team like Liverpool, I mean, I think it's vital that they're able to get youth players or, you know, younger players, European experience, that they get used to logging those miles, that they get used to flying overnight to Turkey, having to turn out on a Thursday, put in a performance, and then come back on a Sunday or a Monday and perform in the Premier League. That's, that's vital experience. And for a club that has the resources to be able to rotate and to be able to field a, a slightly lesser side and still be competitive, to be able to put out a slightly lesser side against relegation teams in the Premier League, I think it's vital that they qualify. For a team like Swansea, I think it just is too many miles. I mean, it's too many miles of traveling. It's asking them to run too many miles. You know, it's hard for Swansea's uh, supporters to go away though, that many times. And they just beat Arsenal 1-0. They beat Arsenal 1-0 in part because they had the most vocal fans in that stadium. 3,000 traveling fans were the most vocal in that stadium. And you could see that the players were feeding off of that. Andrew, your response, first of all, to Swansea fans being the most vocal fans in that stadium. They were. I mean, that's not... Yeah, I mean, it was a rather poor performance from Arsenal. They got plenty of shots. We kind of discussed this earlier, but when you shoot right at the goalkeeper every time, you're not going to score that many goals. And so just rubbed in a little bit that he was playing for them last year, but, you know, he wasn't going to start this year. But Yeah, I think... I think John makes that great point that it, it's much more important for a club like Liverpool to to develop their young players to travel like that, where, you know, we're as good as Swansea can be. None of us are ever really going to think they're going to make a Champions League. So and they're probably not going to win Europa either. So it's probably more of a hindrance. Southampton's the one I'm wondering if it makes sense or not, because clearly at the beginning of this season, they thought they you know, they had Champions League aspirations. And, you know, depending on what happens next year or next season, you know, specifically around Jay Rodriguez and who else comes back, like they may use that Europa experience to then springboard for the next year. So Southampton, I think, are a little more reasonable in thinking that they want to be in Europa. But I kind of agree. It almost seems like a waste for Swansea. I mean, you make a little more money, so that helps. Well, can I jump in on that, actually? So I just pulled up the 2014 stats. And for 2014, the total net... UEFA Europa League club share was only 208 million euro. Um, the net amount available to the participating clubs was split 60-40, so there would be 125 million in fixed payments and then 83 million in variable amounts. So, I mean, the reality is finishing fifth, or sorry, finishing sixth in the Premier League over 14th is more financially lucrative than making a deep Europa League run. This is just fan- this is the best information we've ever had. This is fantastic. Yeah, we blew this waiting so long. Yeah, we totally did. Now, uh, the Manchester City side of this, uh, obviously, you start Aguero, you start David Silva. Would you start a guy, let's say, like James Milner, who last week, I believe, had 11 touches in the box, so he was involved and he was active. 
is he just like a is he just like a flash in the pan once every few weeks, or is he someone you can possibly believe to be a budget midfielder on a good team that you know can get on, you know, can can get an assist, can get a goal here and there? And uh, Andrew, I'll start with you on that. I think he's worth looking at. I, I think Jesus Navas on the other side is more of a possibility, just because he sends in so many crosses that eventually find somebody's head or foot. But Milner. I feel like every time we want to jump on the the Milner bandwagon, his knee flares up and he has to sit again because he's been kind of dealing with a knee injury all season. But Nasri's done, so it's basically going to be those two on the outside with with Silva in the middle. But I don't know. I for some of the the daily sites, Yaya Torre has been really um, has had his price reduced pretty significantly. I mean, deservedly so. But I still think I like his upside more than than. Uh, Milner and I, I probably like Navas is more too. So, uh, John, you rank those three midfielders for your personal preference as well. Uh, I'm going to go Navas, then Silva, then a lot of players on other teams, and then James Milner. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not that I dislike James Milner. I mean, when he was rumored to be going to Liverpool a couple seasons ago, I, I think he's industrious. I think that uh, he has a great engine and you know, he's, he's always in the right place. You know, he kind of reminds me of uh, like Michael Carrick in that way. In that, you know, when you look at the numbers, he's one of those players that you really have to have either uh, a complete blindness to the numbers, or you have to understand which numbers to look at to appreciate the value that he's bringing to his side. Um, he doesn't give away possession very frequently. He makes incredibly good passes in the right passing combinations. I mean, if you've looked at any of the stuff that's been done on like the Tic Tac of Barcelona, you know, what Brendan Rodgers has tried to employ at Liverpool, you see the passing sequence is very important. So in the ABC passing sequence, AA, ABA, ACA, ABC, like those passing configurations are very important. And when you look at James Milner's um, uh, heat maps and you look at his uh, passing graphs, if you're on something like 442 Stat Zone, uh, which is a great application. I highly recommend it. Um, you can see the way that he's making those passes and the way that he's receiving those passes. And that's incredibly valuable to his team, useless for fantasy. Even in Taga, where we try and value, tw- I mean, we value 20 different stats. He still only put up 16 points last week. James Milner has had three double-digit performances in Taga since game week 18. And, I mean, he's put up negative points in two weeks because he, he simply doesn't get forward enough. Um, so while I like him and I think that he helps secure that side and ensure that city is going to take three points, I'm not putting him anywhere near my fantasy team. It's a shame. I, I really do enjoy the way James Miller plays and it's a shame that it doesn't translate over to fantasy. Just another example of a player who's better, better in real life than in fantasy, but, uh, the, we'll get to the big game here. Let's go to the, the, the Sunday 11 AM game. This is Manchester United at home against Arsenal fighting for the top three or maybe Arsenal, the top four, who knows? Um, is this, I mean, Andrew, does this smell like another Arsene Wenger trophy where you just get fourth place and you just happy to qualify and you don't win much of, you don't win any other silverware. I mean, are you resigned to the fact that you're going to lose to Aston Villa in the FA cup final as well? Come on. They won the FA cup last year, last year, Mike. Um, I, I have a, f- a very different feel about Arsenal this year than I have previously, which could certainly be my you know the demise of my weekend coming up. But the the way that they have been playing against better sides this year has me 
a little more confident. I mean, they won at Man City, which was a nice one. That match at Stamford Bridge was just brutal. But, you know, they didn't get blown out like they would have last year. So I think they're they're developing a little bit. And I think they appreciate the importance of this game. The, the only, you know, thing that I keep harping back to, in the back of my head at least, is that if they literally lose this match and United jumps them in the table, they've got home games against... Um, you know, Sunderland and West Brom. And if they win those, they clinch third. So they're kind of, you know, the not playing in the Champions League in August in Turkey, you know, seems like a, a good thing to avoid. And that's, you know, that's in their hands. Yeah, Besiktas gave them everything they could handle in August. Yep. Say that much. Yep. Now, uh, John, five games without a goal, four in the Premier League for Olivier Giroud. Obviously most people would start Alexis over Giroud, whether or not Alexis is considered a forward or a midfielder at this point. Is the gap so big that it's time for Wenger to look at Theo Walcott possibly to be the striker up front, you think? Or can he stick with Giroud still? I think he sticks with Giroud. And I know that people see the talent gap between Alexis Sanchez and Olivier Giroud. And certainly, again, in our format, in the Taga format, that gap translates to fantasy dominance for Alexis Sanchez. But at the end of the day, the gap that I'm more interested in looking at is one that we talked about off air, which is, uh, you know, the shooting accuracy that these two players have. Olivier Giroud is incredibly economical with his shots. This season, he's taken 65 shots, 27 of them are on target. So, you know, one nearly 40%, 50% of his shots are on target. He scored 14%. You know, 20, 22% of his shots are turning into goals. Alexis Sanchez has needed 107 shots to score 14 goals. You know, so he's taken 40 more shots than Giroud. He scored two fewer goals than Giroud. If you're playing in a format, like most salary cap formats are, where you're goal dependent, I mean, for me, it's a no-brainer that I'm playing Giroud and I'm sitting Sanchez. Uh, and I know that that sounds crazy, but when you factor in the amount of money that you have to spend in either a daily fantasy site or in one of the salary cap games, Giroud, in my mind, still comes out ahead. Do you agree, Andrew? The only reason why I I would think that it's still um, Sanchez is because he can still set up other players, whether it's shots that turn into assists, like whether he pulls a Coutinho. But I, I just think the when you're playing with pure upside and, you know, with a lot of these daily games, their prices are so similar. You know, they're kind of in that same upper tier that you're not saving a huge amount with Giroud that I still prefer Sanchez. I mean, I don't think that Walcott's going to get a start anytime this season, you know, with the remaining two games. There's kind of been talk that he wants to leave if he's not going to get enough playing time. And he kind of thinks he's a striker. Uh, he's got a little bit of the... Raheem Sterling thought that they're basically wingers that think they're strikers, but they're they're too small. Basically, it comes down to to size, in my opinion. That he's got a lot of speed, but he just doesn't have the the strength to play in the center by himself. And so, um, it's going to be interesting what happens this summer if they kind of send him to an extension or not. Because if not, then he's either gone in the summer, or he's gone in January. Because I don't think they're going to start him over Giroud. And frankly, I'm not sure he starts over Danny Welbeck as kind of a backup. Yeah. Can I touch on that real quick, Mike? Sorry not to cut you off. Go ahead. But the the quick point that you made, Andrew, about the assists, 
Alexis does have more raw assists. He has eight in the official league um, to Giroud's three, and that obviously includes fantasy assists, where if you create the penalty and the player scores, you know, it counts. And in our format, you don't get those. But using Alexis's eight assists in Giroud's uh, three, Alexis has played 2,675 minutes. So he's recording one assist every 334 minutes. Giroud's three have come in only 1,659. So that's one every 553. While it's a, it's a gap, it's nowhere near as substantial a gap as you would think that they may have uh, if they had had an equal amount of playing time this season. That's a good point. Now, um, I just, I, I, we've heard Andrew's opinion on this, and I just want to get John's as well. We talked about uh, previously how Eden Hazard won Player of the Year, and I think the guys at 120 Sports were saying that it should have been Alexi Sanchez, who wasn't even shortlisted, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh... He was on, yeah, he was in the five. Oh, he was in the five. Okay. Now, they were citing the fact that, you know, more raw, uh, they they were citing that Alexi Sanchez did more on the pitch than Eden Hazard. Do you feel that that's true? And do you feel like Alexi Sanchez's talent level is at that level? Should we be considering him at the same heights as Eden Hazard? I, I don't think that anybody on the pitch in England has done more than Eden Hazard. And, I mean, arguably, the man gets kicked so much. You know, he, he tracks back so hard. He's so dogged in his determination to follow Mourinho's tactics that you can argue he does more. I mean, not, you know, on a goal-scored basis or anything uh, than any player but Messi or Ronaldo. Uh, he's, he's phenomenal. He's going to be in that conversation. He's young enough. Uh, to justify being in that conversation for uh, the Balderon uh, in, in the coming seasons. And if Chelsea do turn into 100-goal Chelsea that they were, you know, 100-goal season Chelsea that they were under Mourinho the first time around, then Eden Hazard's going to have a very strong case, at least for one season, to, uh, to sneak in and, and upset, you know, Messi and Ronaldo uh, for the top prize overall. Yeah, uh, I, that was more self-serving because I just wanted to hear more good things about Chelsea. Now, God, you couldn't have gotten a better response. <laughs> it was great. Uh, Robin Van Persie, I hear, uh, rumor has it, Andrew, that he loves to score against Arsenal. Yeah, he does. I, I would I would definitely o- play. O- over under 1.5 goals for Robin Van Persie. I'm just going to say one. I'll take the under. Okay. Now... When you see Robin Van Persie play, uh, not not just against Arsenal, do you feel that he has any kind of, let's say going, let's say go, you know, projecting in the next year, do you feel like he still has the legs to endure a full season? No. Okay. So just short term, if he starts this week, you do play him against Arsenal, though. Yeah, I would have no problem with. Okay. Which kills and, me. Though. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, sure. I also, does. we'll save that for a shenanigans podcast. But there's no way he's there next year. I doubt. I doubt it as well. But uh, we let's go on to the Monday game. It's West Brom at home against Chelsea. Neither team needs the game. Andrew, I'll qu- pose the question to you. Over <laughs> under. I think John may be on mute. Um, over under four goals scored in the West Brom Chelsea game. One and a half. Um, I I'll take the under. I'll take the under. At, and I think it'll be one nothing. One I'll nothing. I'll take the over. All right, John. Why the over? I, 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 if it was set at two and a half, I'd probably take the under. I mean, I think I think this is two nothing Chelsea, um, and I think it's going to be you know uh, a late goal that makes it two nothing. It's going to be one nothing after about thirty five minutes. They're going to play it out, and eighty seventh minute or so, 
Juan Cuadrado or, uh, you know, I don't know, Boic Remy is going to just knit one at the end and it'll be 2 0. So, what's your comfort level with, let's say, Loic Remy? Because he didn't look good last week. And I, I did watch that game. It was brutal to watch, but I did watch it. Um, what, I mean, Loic Remy, his, his injury was really ill timed because he could have gotten a lot of good run in with the first squad. Do you feel that he has a place in Chelsea for the next two games, for one? And then furthermore, you know, going into the next season, do you, do you envision him being you know, in any sort of top flight club in the Premier League? I, to answer the second question first, because it's easy. Yeah, he'll be playing top flight somewhere. I'm hoping it's in the Premier League. I'm hoping for it's somebody like Crystal Palace, where he's just going to get chance after chance after chance, and he's going to be a 20-goal scorer, and he's going to cost almost nothing to acquire. He's going to be my last draft pick in a 10-team draft league, and he's going to sit on my bench, uh, you know, for two months until his transfer goes through on the, you know, at the transfer deadline, and then he just scores them in bunches. Um, to answer your first question, I don't know what Diego Costa is going to do these last two games. I mean, he was in the third tier, you know, when last time I saw him on television. So, do you go from sitting in the third tier to being able to be fit to play? I don't see it. He's still young enough that I would be concerned about what bringing him back too quickly in a season that quite literally has no more meaning to Chelsea uh, and risking him for, for the future. And this is clearly a future that Mourinho believes in. If you've listened to his comments about, uh, you know, his relationship with the board and with the owner, he says he's going to stay as long as they want him to stay, um, that he believes in his group of players. He's been merciless uh, with cutting out the players that he feels aren't going to be able to contribute. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne and Andre Schurl are world-class talents, and they're not with Chelsea anymore. Uh, you know, I clearly Mourinho believes in the players that he has, and I don't think that there's any reason for him to rush back yeah. Diego Costa. Juan Mata and uh, Diego, uh, David Luiz, two other examples of guys he didn't want. Absolutely. Uh, now, on the other side, West Brom, Andrew, is... Would you take a chance and play any of the uh, any of the defenders for West Brom? No, no, I, I kind of gave up on because Tony because Tony Pulis gets you a clean sheet when you least expect it. Yeah, but I'm still, I'm still not willing to make that jump against the title holders, <laughs> or you know, elect. the title. Yeah, the title. title excuse me. Yep. Um, the now, only reason why I think Costa is even a. a possibility of playing is there must be something in his contract if he gets 20 goals I, I see no reason for him to even want to play if you're that worried about it just give him the bonus instead of right. making him try to go out there and earn it and maybe get injured right. if you want him to have the money give him the money yeah. no that's a fair point because like Roman Abramovich does not care what any other owner in the Premier League thinks so like if he's worried that's going to start a flurry of players demanding bonuses that they didn't earn He's probably actually happier. He might do it. He might rest Diego Costa just to give him that bonus without hitting it. <laughs> the opulence continues from the Russian oligarch. What can I say? Uh, we have the double game week game on Wednesday. It is Arsenal at home against Sunderland. Obviously, the advantage is the Arsenal both for the game week and for this game as well, just who it benefits more uh, in terms of getting two games versus one. But in the, in, in the case of Sunderland, because they have so much to play for, do you feel that, you know, even the fringe option, guys you may have been thinking about, like Jermaine Defoe, 
possibly a Connor Wickham, a Patrick Van Onhold, if you will. Is there significant value attached to Sunderland specifically having a double game week, John? There's a lot of value attached to it. I'm still going to disagree with you about Patrick Van Anhalt. That's fine. But you, you can I, be wrong once. It's okay. I've been wrong a lot, man. I have been wrong a lot. I tipped Harry Kane to be like a 15-goal scorer two years ago, the year that he got 300 minutes in the Premier League. I've, I've been wrong. Uh, <laughs> and, and I may be wrong here. I mean, obviously, if Van Anhalt comes out and assists a goal against Leicester, he's, you've made your money on him right there. Um, but the double game week here is Arsenal. The in the in the official game, it's it's spending four points if you have to to get in your three gunners, um, and it's it's rolling the dice on uh, you know on a Sunderland player if you've been having him sit on your bench for the last few weeks in anticipation. And uh, Andrew, with you here, I mean Arsenal. How much do you like Hector Bellerin this game week? This this double game week. I love him. I think he. I certainly have him ahead of Patrick Van Anhalt, but whatever they. It's, it's just a strange thing that happened with Arsenal at right back this year because Bellerin wasn't even part of the conversation. It was all Matthew DiBucci. And then when he got hurt, Callum Chambers took over. And then Chambers got hurt. And they threw in Bellerin as a 19-year-old in a Champions League match. And I'm not sure he's really given it back. So I think he's, a, I think he's the, the best... Um, Arsenal play, a defense defending wise. I think what's interesting, and I had this issue earlier today looking at my fantasy Premier League team, is which three Arsenal players do you even select? Well, that would be easy for me. And John, you can you, you can you can chime in after me. The three Arsenal players that I would choose would be Ozil, it would be Ramsey, and it would be Alexis. That can't possibly be right. Would you would you like a do over? <laughs> Did I say three Arsenal players? Yeah, I mean, but you just picked Ramsey, Arsenal, and Alexis, and all they're possibly going to do is poach each other's fantasy points. I mean, I, I, dude, you're playing, you're playing David Ospina, right? I mean, like, the man's given up nine goals since he became the Arsenal shot stopper. Nine goals. Like, he's going to get you a clean sheet. And if, if you have the money, and, and this is in Daily Fantasy Sports or in the official league, if you have the money to roll out three top-tier players. I mean, the players that I'm personally rolling out are Santi Cazorla, Alexis Sanchez, and Olivier Giroud, because those three players have shown that they're not going to poach each other's opportunities this season. I, so I tend to... I, I've, I've been historically really against Santi Cazorla, and it's been on and off, to be fair. He's been on, he's also been very off. But... I like the I like I like I like attacking midfielders. That that that's really the way that I go about it because they can they have the highest volatility in terms of how many points they can get, uh, especially especially as midfielders who can score goals. And all three, I mean, Ozil has shown that he can set up and score goals for Arsenal. But I understand Ospina is very valuable. I really do. I just I try to get as many offensive points when I can, and when I can get good attacking midfielder options playing twice in a week. That's where I would go first. And now, Andrew, uh, I'm assuming you're going to agree with John's point because it's, our, to be fair, his facts are going to get in the way of my opinions every time. <laughs> so uh, go ahead, Andrew. Give your much more educated piece than myself. Well, the, the reason why I brought it up is because I was setting my lineup and I went with um, Ozil, uh, Alexis, and Giroud. 
and I tried to get Bellerin in there, kind of ignoring that I had already had three Arsenal players in there, which is why I kind of brought this all up because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if they, if Arsenal Man United was a scoreless draw. And yeah, I do think that they shut out Sunderland. So I think, I think this is the clean sheet play of the weekend, or of the week, so which you obviously don't get for the, the daily games that skip the Wednesday one. But I think that's the biggest mismatch: Arsenal home against Sunderland. And so that's why I strongly considered Bellerin, or because he's so cheap in in the, you know, fantasy Premier League. And I think Ospina is also a pretty good call because. You know, if he keeps United close, he's probably going to get plenty of of saves on top of it. So, I uh, I went with the attacking ones, but I understood the case for going with a goalie or Bellerin, or I probably wouldn't have gone with Monreal. Yeah, uh, I'm just glad that I'm not considering myself crazy for going for three people, three players at the same position or at similar positions. So thank you, Andrew, for that. And thank you, John, for joining us on this episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. Definitely the most informative, and that's probably due to John and Andrew. Definitely not because of myself. Thank you so much again, John, for being here. You're invited back anytime you want. You just let us know. We'll make sure we have room for you. Well, thank you guys very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I've been listening. Um, since Andrew brought it to my attention, I've been listening to the, the preview show you guys do. It's always a good listen, and I'm just really happy to have been a part of it. All right, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week for the last and final regular season week of the Parkley Premier League, and I promise tons of shenanigans in the offseason. Catch you then, Andrew. For more great content, go to rotowire.com slash soccer. It's all free, and it's all for you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.